Welcome to Pastor Standing Firm. It's a podcast for spiritual leaders, pastors who are standing for truth in days of deception. Hey, I got a special guest with me today. His name is Mike Burnett. He comes all the way from Clarksville, Tennessee, Life Church there, and they're making a huge impact for the kingdom of God. Pastor Mike, how are you doing today? Hey, what's up, my friend? It's so good to be with you, and man, really honored to uh, be a part of your podcast. I've been tracking some of the stuff you've been doing over the last couple of years, and honestly, I'm, I'm flattered that you asked me to be a part of your podcast. Of course, I've known you for a few years, so uh, it's great to be with you anytime I'm around you. You're always a great guy to talk to, and you're exciting about whatever you're talking about. So that's that's one of the things I like you, about you. You're such an energetic and exciting person. So man, it's good thanks. to be with you. It's good to be with you too, man. I love, love what you guys are doing down there. Every time I get together with you, you, I mean, you had this gathering of pastors recently, and you invited me into the room, and I just felt so honored. So it's great to have you here. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You, you married, kids, the whole thing, your church. What's, what's up? Sure. Yeah. Um, I've been married for 20 years this summer. My wife, Stephanie and I, we met in college at the university of Tennessee. We're both music students, uh, studying classical music. She was a piano major, went through her master's in classical piano. I did my undergrad in classical voice. And that our plan was to go into music full-time as a, uh, as classical musicians, but we also were wrestling through the call of God for ministry. And so we were involved in our church in college. And then the pastor of that church ended up hiring me, uh, upon graduation for music and youth ministry. Um, so we've actually been in, in ministry as long as we've been married 20 years. And, uh, we have four daughters. Our oldest will be 15 very soon here in the spring of 2022. And our youngest will be eight this summer. So we have four girls and, uh, man, it's, it's a good life. We've been in ministry now, like I said, 20 years, and we've been at life point church, uh, this summer will be 12 years. So it's been a fun journey, a fun ride. That's awesome, man. So we're going to dig into this. As a pastor, over the last two years, in what ways have you grown? I know everybody's gone through changes, but which ways have you grown from all that you've experienced? Sure. Well, unfortunately, I've grown in my waistband. Um, <laughs> that I, I was just going to throw that out there. I'd actually been through about a five-year journey of health, fitness, weight loss, all that kind of stuff. And then um, when the pandemic hit, I actually was one of the first people in town in my city to get COVID. Dude, you were one of the first and, people I ever knew that had COVID. Like right. when you, I was on a Zoom call with you and you like, I got COVID. I was like, oh my gosh, I was still. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I had COVID when nobody knew how to f treat it, fix it, or deal with the uh, quarantine restrictions. So I was given a 14-day quarantine that was before they were testing. I got COVID before they were actually just freely testing people. You had to have like three or four different symptoms before they would test you. So I was calling my doctor every day and they're like, no, we're not going to test you. No, we're not going to test you. I got COVID before losing taste and smell was a symptom. That's how <laughs> early on. So I'm, I'm 15 days in my basement and then they tested me and they told me after that back then the test took like seven days to get a result. So I, I got COVID back when I was looking at like a 40 day quarantine possibility. Well, in the process of that, um, I stopped working out. Then my gyms, our gyms closed down. Right. And then I just got into the busy rhythm of work, work, work. And I got out of the habit of exercise. So one of the ways I've grown in the last two years is, uh, is my waist, but I'm getting that under control. <laughs> Praise God. I'm back. I'm back in the gym and enjoying that. Uh, but no, I, I think as a leader, every, Every leader has been tested in so many ways. We've all been 
tempted to quit, to give up. We've all been angry. We've been frustrated. We've had expectations of our teams. And, and I'm talking about church leaders here. Uh, we've had expectations of our, our teams that have maybe gone unmet and especially of the folks in the church that have gone unmet. And, and, you know, just, just watching culture shift so significantly. John Maxwell made a comment. He said, one of his greatest fears of the pandemic is people will establish new habits. And I think now two years later, we're sitting on, we're living on the back end of that. That's right. Thinking, thinking, man, the, the things that our culture has acclimated to, by the way, don't, don't discount. And I know you're not, but I'm saying don't discount the political, the racial, the gender and just sexual revolutionary craziness. That's all also gone on during this pandemic, a new president, crazy inflation. Um, and then most recently the beginning of what may be a global conflict in Russia, Ukraine, et cetera. So, you know, with everything else, everything that's happened in the last two years, um, I guess if I've seen a lack of steadiness or resolve, not only in my own self, but in the folks that we lead and the folks that we're around, that's been an area of, of just testing a leader to say, you know, how do you lead when everything is upended? It's one thing when you have like one area of your life challenged, you know, like, like work's going great. Finances are good. Kids are doing great. Their sports and everything is good in their schoolwork, but like your wife, you and your wife are kind of on edge. So that's an area. I think in the last two years, we have felt pressure in pretty much every area. Yeah. The political, social, uh, racial, gender, um, health, financial, and now the, even our peace is unsettled because of of conflict. So people are challenged on pretty much every front. And uh, it's it's tested your metal, if you can use that old word, it's tested your metal as a leader to see how how resolved we really are and where our dependence actually lies. Yeah. And you live in a military town too. So, I mean, that's got to yep. hit a little bit closer to home than people who live, you know, like in suburbs like me. Yeah. So I'm in Clarksville, Tennessee, which is a, an army town. We have uh, the second largest army base, army post in the country. And uh, we also are home to some special operations uh, units, but also an aviation regiment uh, division here, the airborne guys, air assault guys. And so uh, our, our church is about 65% military connected. And we feel the pressure of global conflict in a different way, you know, Man. because our families are thinking about their husbands or wives being shipped off to war possibly. And at current, that is not, I mean, the president is saying that's not going to happen, but we've heard those things before. And we understand that America, um, you know, we have a heart for our, the nations that are being impacted. So, so there's going to be a real possibility of our, our entire community being affected here. So that, that brings another level of stress that's very specific to our context. Man. Well, you've, you've definitely gone through it over the last few years. I got a copy of your book in my hand. It's called Parable Church, How the yeah. Teachings of Jesus Shaped the Culture of Our Faith. I've gotten a chance to read through it. I love the view of the Father, Luke chapter 15, and just kind of bringing our focus there. If you were to just tell our spiritual leaders what they can learn most from reading from it, what would you summarize that to say? So I... um. Well, I, there's a little bit of a backstory to the book and why I wrote it. I don't consider myself an author, um, but I guess I technically am now. But I wrote a book after our church had experienced a lot of growth, um, fast growth in particular. And um, 
I would get regular calls or emails or texts from pastors and friends and some often strangers asking, you know, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do to see that kind of growth? And what are some tips and tricks and some primary secrets that, that I would say you have to do. And I used to tell pastors all the time, it's like, I, we don't do anything different than what you're doing. We just focus um, specifically on some of the cultural things and the systemic things like the systems being how to, how does everything you do move people in their devotion to Jesus and then the cultural things, how does it feel to be a part of this church? Um, so, you know, every, every community, every part of the country, every part of the world really have some like cultural realities that are specific there. If you're in a Latin American context, you know, the, the culture of that church feels different than a suburban Illinois church context. Right. So, so I don't mean culture in terms of the local region. I started asking questions about the culture of the kingdom of God. And is that apparent in your church? So when I'd meet with pastors or coach a pastor or whatever, I'd say, tell me about, tell me about your church. Like, how does it feel to go there? And you know, the pastor's always like, oh, it's awesome. I love it. No, no, no. I'm saying, how does it, how does it feel for an unwed single mom? Or how does it feel for a same-sex couple to come and try out your church, check their kids into the kids' ministry, and uh, walk through the doors of the auditorium? How does it feel for a Democrat to walk in? How does it feel for a conservative Republican to walk in? How does it feel for Black people, Hispanic people, white people? How does it feel to be there? And you know, very, and, and I would specifically ask those types of questions because I know those are challenging. Um, those are challenging groups of folks to make sure that we're making room for, et cetera. And that, that's an uncomfortable question. Well, as you study the life and ministry of Jesus, people love being around him, especially non-religious, unchurched, if you can use that word for people in that time frame. Like lost people love Jesus. They and he was saying truth. He was telling the truth, but they still loved being around him. Even though the right. truth is convicting, he was, he was telling Correct. the truth. Yes. So he multiple times in the gospel, it says in the gospels, it says he was famous. His fame spread, but we know that religious people hated him. So there was something really interesting about his fame was actually among um, wounded, hurting, distant, lost people. So in Luke 15, you know, where you mentioned earlier from the book, probably the one parable that shaped me as a pastor the most is the parable of the two sons, the father with the two sons. We often call it the parable of the prodigal son, but that's not what Jesus called it. He said there was a man with two sons, um, particularly because I I know what it's like to be the second, the younger brother, right? So I know that life. So I, I used to say a lot, like I've, I've preached that parable here a bunch. I've preached it on the road a number of times. And I just think if, if possible, we should pastor churches where prodigal sons, lost sons, missing sons want to get home to the Come father. On, let's go. And I, I made a comment to my wife back when I was in seminary, actually, actually after seminary, I said, one day I want to pastor a church that I would like to go to, you know, or <laughs> I would like to pastor a church. My, my family, um, we were kicked out of church from the pulpit um, at a small UPC oneness church back in, uh, I was probably seven or eight years old. I tell the story in the book. Um, and we were kicked out from the pulpit. Like the pastor interrupted his sermon and kicked my mom and my two brothers and me out and nobody stopped them. Nobody stood with us. Nobody. We walked from the second row all the way out. And, uh, I call it the long walk of shame and it was terrible. And, and I said, one day I'd pass, I want to pastor a church that I would have never gotten kicked out of. Wow. And I think, 
in, in Luke 15. Now, what that is, is seeker sensitive, right? That's not like watered down. It's not compromising. I think, I think Jesus, where he had such a brilliance about himself, among other reasons, he had a way of, like you said, he said really hard kingdom truths, but always in a way that was redemptive and loving and inviting. It's interesting. Like everybody, nobody likes getting bad news from their doctor, but when it's true, you're so thankful for your doctor. Like when your doctor says you have stage four cancer, nobody's excited about that, but they don't get mad at the doctor over it. You know what I'm saying? They don't go, I'm never going to a hospital again. Screw medicine. I hate it. But very often when we give truth of the gospel and what it means to serve God and live for God, sometimes if we're not careful, we say it in a way that causes people or we live it in a way, we project it in a way that causes people to reject the hospital, so to speak. They reject the church, they reject the family of God, and they reject the Lord ultimately. And I just I just decided I wanted to pastor a church that had a culture that felt like Jesus was the pastor. You know, I would ask this question to pastors. If you die today and your board did a national search for new pastor and Jesus Christ himself put in a resume, would he get an interview? Mm-hmm. Like, like if he came for a weekend visit to preach and be with the you know key members and hang out in the lobby, would he walk around going, this feels like me, this feels like I belong here? Or would it feel like, uh, would Jesus go, that's a terrible picture of me on the wall. That's not me. And I don't look like that at all. Cause he's not blue eyed blonde hair. And, and would he get an interview? Cause he was single by the way. And, and, uh, non-white, but that's a whole other set of, uh, issues. But would it, would he walk around feeling like he was the pastor? Like these are my people. And so, well, not even these are my people, but this feels like I've been here. Uh, so the thing about where Jesus went, right? Every, everywhere he went, I was just reading this morning in Colossians chapter one, dude, this is so brilliant. Colossians one, there's just so much in this letter, but he says all of the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in Christ, all of the fullness of the Godhead. So think about this. Jesus never took divinity off. Like everywhere he went, the full weight of the kingdom of heaven went with him everywhere he went. So he never took it off on the, you know, Sabbath. And he's like, okay, boys break out the, you know, the cores. We're going <laughs> to just have like, this is just human Jesus this weekend. You know what I'm saying? Like everywhere he went, the full weight of heaven went with him. So when he, that's why the woman with the issue of blood knew if I can just touch his clothes, right? Cause everywhere he went, the full weight of heaven went with him. And I imagine that everywhere he left, people realized when heaven left him, left their presence. So so my point is to say, like when he, if, if Jesus himself could walk into our churches, which he is here by his Holy Spirit, and we should be a tangible representation of a life filled with the Holy Spirit, would God recognize his own presence in our churches? Mm. So in the book Parable Church, I basically say, you know, he wrote 37 parables, these stories, and they weren't just because he was a hyperbolic Confucianary kind of leader. He just wasn't making up poems on the fly. Every time he taught a parable and he said, he told this to his disciples in Matthew, they said, why do you teach all these parables all the time? He said, because I'm trying to reveal the kingdom of heaven. So often when he'd start a parable, he would say the kingdom of heaven is like this, which is an interesting thing to say when he's walking on the kingdom of Babylon, he's in earth, he's in first century Middle East, he's, he's walking around a different kingdom. And all he kept telling stories was about life in another kingdom. 
kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. Hey, I know you say eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. So Luke 15, coming back full circle with that question, yes. Luke 15 starts with lost people were loving being around Jesus and the religious people grumbled about it. So it says tax collectors and sinners love being around him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. The insiders were hating that the outsiders were coming to Jesus. Wow. And, and I'm just going to tell you, if you have a church where outsiders are coming, just know insiders will hate it. And that's a great sign. <laughs> but as a pastor, as a pastor, you have to be willing to teach the insiders how to have a heart for the outsiders. So that's what he did. Rather than defend it, rather than Jesus looking at the Pharisees goes, you idiots, you don't have a heart for the missing. Where's your heart for the mission of God? He tells stories. Yeah. He goes, man, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a farmer, a shepherd with a hundred sheep and he lost one and he leaves the 99 to go after the one. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a, it's like a woman who had a bag of coins and lost one. Flips her house upside down, turns over the couches, lifts the floorboards. And when she finds the one coin that was missing, she doesn't say, well, I got 99 other coins. I got a whole bag of nickels. But when she finds the one that was missing, she throws a party. I mean, could you imagine, Jeremiah, could you imagine going to a party, like full-on shindig, DJ, roasted pig, probably not in Jesus' story, but in our context, a roasted pig, you'd have like all your friends and you go, what are we celebrating? I found a nickel. Like I found my nickel. So we're partying, right? And he, Jesus is making the point, like it's absurd to throw a party for a coin. And that's how much Jesus celebrates when lost things come home or found. And then he tells the story. So it's three parables of lost things in a row, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. So what if the parables of Jesus would be the thing that shaped the culture of our church? Because I think that culture is translatable in every context, whether it's a suburban church in Illinois, it's a Southern church in Tennessee, it's a Latin American church in Guatemala, it's a Bush church in Africa and Tanzania. The culture of the, na the nation and the context may be different, but the culture of the kingdom, lost things matter. Generosity is a way of God's people. Like all those parables reveal cultural language that's amazing. Yeah. And so that, that's really the premise of the book. What if our church felt like Jesus was the pastor of it? That's good, man. Now, I've heard you use the term bibliocentric living. Yeah. And it really sounded like something that we should talk about here at Pastor Stadium Firm. Yeah. So, you know, what does that mean and how are you boldly leading your church yeah. with this idea? Yeah. So, well, I, I did two of my graduate degrees, my master's and doctoral studies uh, in expository preaching, um, which I, you know, I had no background in this as an opera singer in college. Right. And so um, I didn't even know what expository preaching was before I went to my first seminary degree. I'd never heard of that. Um, but I have come uh, as a pastor. I've just I've grown really committed to preaching whole books of the Bible. So like currently it's um, we're in March of 2022 and I'm on month 11 of about a two year series going verse by verse through the book of Acts. And we started it on Easter 2021. And I get challenged on that a lot. People will say, you'll never grow a church preaching, you know, books of the Bible like that. And, uh, and that's not a way to reach lost people. But I'm thinking like the stuff we're preaching is, especially in the book of Acts, it's stories and records of lost people coming to faith in Jesus. So I think, of course, people are going to love that. But the, the, one of the big motivations for me 
on preaching whole books of the Bible and preaching verse by verse through passages of the scripture, I, I want to say like from a 30,000 foot view of our culture, the number one problem in our world, obviously, is that Jesus is not Lord of our world. But the reason people don't follow Jesus, they don't know Jesus. So let's take it back even further. It, and you and I come from the same denominational tribe. And we obviously we believe Jesus, you got to be born again. But our first doctrine in our fellowship is the Bible. That's right. That the scriptures are inspired. And we believe the Bible is the authoritative rule for faith and practice. And what that means is we believe the Bible is the authority of what we believe, even about Jesus and how we live, how we practice life. Now, I don't want to elevate the Bible over Jesus. I want to be very clear about that. But the revelation of Christ, the doctrine of revelation teaches us that God has revealed himself in, in and through creation in and through the person, life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus, in and through the inspired word of God. So the Bible is like, it is absolutely like the greatest deficit of our human experience right now. So the number one need of our world is the scripture, is bibliocentric, which will point them to Christ, which will give them the ultimate need, the primary need, even over that of Jesus. So I want to just, again, clarify that I'm not putting the Bible over Jesus, but he is revealed clearly and succinctly enough through scripture. So I say the greatest epidemic of our world is that people don't know the Bible. They don't live by the Bible. So if they don't know it, they don't remember it. If they don't remember it, they don't live by it. Well, how in the world as a pastor, why in the world would I spend my prophetic ministry and preaching time, giving them tips for living and, you know, um, just, positive thinking just kind of sprinkling motifs. the word in there, just kind of sprinkling and, the word, just a little bit of tiny little, little dabble. Do you? Yeah. And listen, I'm going to sound like an, like an old angry prophet when I say this, but I really want to challenge pastors in, in your podcast is for pastors standing firm. Please stop preaching topical hallmark calendar series and do like, if you're going to do that, let that be the very, very, very minimal exception to the rule of preaching the Bible. One of the things I've noticed in healthy growing churches is they have a higher view of preaching the Bible. Mm. Um, That's not always the case. And I'm not going to say this is like some, you know, doctoral um, study that I've done, but one of the things I've personally noticed growing healthy churches, and, and I don't mean numerically even growing. I just mean healthy with like family serving God, people engaged in small groups, serving generous, that feel like Christ is the Lord. Those churches have a high view of the Bible and preach it boldly and without compromise. And and listen, I think there's a place for doing a topical series on, let's say relationships or money or, you know, your best life now or whatever, if you want to do that. But the greatest need people have is a life governed and led by the scripture because it's the word of God breathed out by God. In fact, the scriptures tell us like all of the word is breathed out by God. It's profitable for training, uh, training in righteousness, rebuking correction, so that the man or woman of God may be perfect, lacking nothing. So we have to view the word of God as if it's this breathed out thing, this, this body of work given to us by God for our benefit and our good. But as we look at the world right now, I mean, just evaluate the crazy craziness where we are headed with gender, sex, and sexuality. Just take that topic alone. And, and I think 
pastors and Christians are just shaking their head going, like, we're not even close to reconciling those things because the scripture doesn't, it, like, as, as long as the scripture doesn't change, we don't have the freedom to change our perspective on this. And the, the only pastors that I've witnessed that are changing their view on gender, sex, and sexuality are the ones that have a diminished view of the scripture. But, but as we are watching our world, like, collide into Babylonian paganism again when it comes to sex and sexuality, we just shake our heads going, that doesn't jive with the Bible. So this is why Jesus, again, coming back to what we said earlier, if we will lovingly, compassionately, boldly proclaim the truth of God's word, that will bring correction, rebuke, training, and righteousness so that these people can have their lives with Christ again. So I just want to challenge pastors all the time, man, preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. Don't hold back. If you don't understand a text, ask a friend, but like, don't not preach a text because it's odd or awkward or weird or feels transitional. Preach the Bible. People don't live by the Bible because they don't remember the Bible because they don't hear or read the Bible. And pastors do not help when all they're doing is throwing one verse out or some Old Testament story and principalizing that on how to have your own victory over your giants. That's not the purpose of those stories. All of the scripture points to Jesus and a life in Christ and a life devoted to Christ. So anyway, I can get on this. Oh, that's so good. You said something in there that I want to really highlight because I've experienced it recently. I had a man come up to me, attended the church for years, and he said, I just bought my first Bible this past week. And I started reading it because you've been reading some stuff that's been challenging me and I needed to figure out what it was saying to me because I was getting, I I was lost. I wasn't able to track with you because I I don't know the word. And I'm finding that people just don't read the Bible. So I've actually been reading long passages of scripture and messages because I'm like, if this is the only Bible that they're going to get this week, I'm going to, I'm going to spend most of my time reading the Bible that I have with them rather than me just talking about things. I love it. Expository preaching, man, you will find, and and people don't like it because it's challenging. Some people say, well, that kind of preaching is boring. I think boring preaching is boring, but expository preaching is not boring at all. In fact, we, we watch and read everything else exegetically. When's the last time you picked up a book and read one line from this page and flipped over to 32 pages and read one line from another page and then flipped over? When have you watched a movie like that? I mean, it's like a find your own adventure book. Grownups don't read those books, right? And to preach topically, you know, 38 verses from this collection of works called the Bible is just bad hermeneutics, but it's not boring. Preachers are boring, but, but, expository preaching is powerful. It's life. It's how we read and study the Bible. We read paragraphs at a time and we highlight, underline, and read it in context. Um, and it, it will serve your people well over the long haul. I've had people in our church. I mean, there's one guy in particular, every time I do a book series, he gives me the same feedback. He's been in the church his entire life. He's 65 years old. And he always tells me, Man, I never knew the Bible said that. I never knew the Bible said that. I've been in church my whole life. I never knew the Bible said that. Well, man, I'm, I'm just telling you, it's one of the greatest gifts you can give your people is preaching uh, through books of the Bible. It seems arduous. I, I will tell you, as a pastor, as a preacher, it makes planning very easy because yeah. I already know what text I'm preaching next week and the following week. It's whatever's next in the book of Acts. Uh, and, and by the way, we will pause for short mini series here and there. Like we're doing a, um, a fall series with small group stuff that'll be out of the book of Acts, but then we're going to jump right back into it. Easter Acts, Christmas Acts. I mean, we're just in it and it'll serve your people well over the long haul. It'll actually make you a better exegete of scripture as well as a preacher. That's so I say good. go for it. It's, 
it's good work, man. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm probably quite biased too, because I've invested a lot of money uh, in, in my theological training between a master's and a doctorate in expository preaching. So I'm probably a little biased because of that too, but I, I just see the fruit of it. Yeah. I see the fruit of what it's done in our people. And, and, and as a pastor, I love seeing people bring their Bible and bring a notebook and take notes in church and expository preaching just naturally orients people towards that. That's good. So now we're living in 2022 and we're pastoring. Yep. We've been through the last couple of years, you know, looking at the current state of the world and your local context. How are yep. you successfully leading your congregation in truth? Because there's so much deception around us and we're spiritual. Like we are a spiritual community. We're not a natural community. So you've got all these natural things that are coming at people, but then you realize that the natural things that are coming at people are actually spiritual attacks of deception that's right. coming from the enemy. So how are you right. how are you guiding your church with truth? I mean, how are how are you imparting that into people? Yeah, so um, it's, I don't know that I'm doing it successfully. I mean, you framed the question, how am I successfully doing it? I appreciate your affirmation there, but I don't, I don't know if I am. Uh, I hope I am to the glory of Jesus. You know, it's interesting in, in the last two years, I think all of us have been tempted to take a side on all the issues that we're facing, right? I watched pastors during COVID take a side one way or the other on masks or mandates or vaccines or whatever. And I've watched a, a lot of pastors take a side when it comes when it came to issues of, of race, the Black Lives Matter protests, the death of George Floyd. And, and uh, I watched pastors take a side on politics. And I think, I think we have to be very mindful and careful of how and when we stand for various cultural things. Because the reality is, and now we're seeing it on the back end of COVID, like literally the day before the president's State of the Union address in 2022, he's lifting mask mandates. And they literally had a statement that said, the science has changed. <laughs> which I didn't know that could happen. A friend of mine who's a congressman said, I think the political science has changed. But uh, anyway, you know, we we have to be mindful that, you know, every tidal wave will settle back into normal waves again. And I think the last two years we've been living under like six tidal waves, but time will prove and time has proven over the world history that all these tidal waves will settle back into regular just shoreline waves again. That's a great point. And, and so the pandemic is coming to an end. The election has come and gone. And the thankfully, uh, we are growing from all of these issues, right? We, we always want to grow. We don't want to ignore them. But I just want to, I want to encourage pastors to be mindful of how and when you take a side. So for instance, when Ahmaud Arbery was killed and George Floyd was killed, murdered, I, I just, man, my heart grieved and broke. And how I dealt with that as a leader is to take the posture of the scripture where the Bible says we grieve with those who grieve and we mourn with those who mourn. So when Ahmaud Arbery was murdered, I grieved with his mother publicly. I mean, I said it from the platform. I didn't make a, a political statement there. I didn't make a conservative versus a Democrat. I didn't make it a Northern Southern thing. I said, man, this guy's mom, he was born on Mother's Day. And I said, this Mother's Day, she will grieve like never before. And I said, I, I am grieving with her. I said it publicly. When George Floyd was killed and, and black folks in our church were wondering, does my pastor see this? Yeah. 
I stood in front of our church and I said, I want every black person in our church to know this. You matter to me. You matter to this church. And we grieve with you. We stand with you. But I didn't go get in a protest line and like stand before the White House and get into some conflict. Like I stayed in my lane. I stayed in the lane of, of grieving, mourning, sympathizing, caring, standing with people, weeping with people and bringing them to confidence and peace in Christ. When the, with the pandemic, you know, and the mask mandates got really pressurized and the vaccine pressure, my goodness, it was crazy. As a pastor, we had families leave our church because I wouldn't take a position publicly one way or the other on, on vaccines. Here's what I said publicly to everyone who's a part of LifePoint Church, you manage your health however you feel led to manage your health and be respectful of people who manage their health differently. I mean, I'm a conservative typically, like politically. And, and listen, I'm just going to tell you, like, we, we have a value in conservative, in conservatism or even libertarianism, like, let people manage their own lives. So the last thing I'm going to do is force how I manage my life on other people. So I just said, look, you manage your health however you see best and be respectful of those who manage their health differently. Um, so I, I think one of the things this year, like I've encouraged leaders a lot, like be mindful of where you stand. And here's why all these things will come and go, but the kingdom of God will last forever. I, I actually have another book idea and I want to be careful not to give the whole concept away here, but essentially we live in the tension between two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus talked about in his parables and his gospel and the kingdom of Babylon. And Babylon has many different facets. It's, it's national politics of every nation. It's, it's wars and rumors of wars. It's fiscal and financial. And we have all of these, the, these realities of the ways of Babylon. And the way of Babylon, listen, if you go back and read in the scripture, Babylonians wanted to unify in voice and language in order to get to God. And that's what our world is trying to do. Again, make everyone say the same, think the same, act the same, or we'll cancel you and we'll kick you out of Babylon. Well, Jesus never confronted Rome. Think about it. He never had a stump speech or a message against Rome. He actually was like not even really that worked up about Rome. Because honestly, I think Jesus knew like my kingdom will actually topple Rome. And guess what happened hundreds of years later? His kingdom toppled Rome. Yeah. The Roman Empire fell. The British Empire fell. Any empire that's trying to set itself up, including the Russian Empire, the Chinese Empire, the American Empire, any empire that sets itself up against the kingdom of God is Babylonian and will fall. We have to decide what kingdom are we a part of, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of Babylon. And I, I made this statement in a message, and I said it for about three months, you know, off and on to our church. Jesus did not die to save and rescue Babylon. Jesus died to save and rescue Babylonians. And so as pastors, we have to remember our assignment and calling. Listen, I love our nation. I love America. I love the stock market. I love all those things. And I enjoy my view. I, I joke with our church. I said, I have a ton of correct political views. <laughs> and I'm glad to tell them to you over steak fajitas, but not that pulpit is not the place for that. That's a different kingdom that we're promoting. That's right. So, so I think we have to be careful to stay in our lane and realize that, that it's, it's fun to dabble in Babylon, but don't ever put your confidence there. Don't ever put all your stones there. I mean, listen, our stock market may completely fall apart in the next 10 years. We may go into a third world war and, and this physical world may have some 
dire, devastating ramifications. But I don't belong to this place. Yeah. Well, here's we have the thing. to remember that. It might, it might also have some beautiful, positive, exciting things. And don't let that draw you away either. I think, I think we've got to talk about the right. positive and the negative effects of yep. this earthly existence and say it's all there to distract you from what really matters. Well, I asked the question of our team recently. I said, you know, a lot of people get scared when they think about the end times. I think for the Christian, we have to realize the end of the end is actually something God always promised that would happen, not to cause fear, but an anticipation and a reinstatement into the mission of God. But here's, here's, you know, I get that it's anxiety inducing, et cetera. I'm not trying to be, you know, callous to that. But I asked this question to our lead team. I was like, somebody's got to live through the end times. And how crazy is it that Jesus would say, this is the generation of my church that I have now appointed to lead my people into the reign of Christ forever. I mean, what an honor. You know, um, you and I are about the same age. You remember in the 80s, like everybody was buying water and beans and stocking up because 88 reasons Jesus is coming back and the world's <laughs> going to come to an end and and all this. And we've looked at the end of it all as this thing to fear. And, and, and even if it's painful, it's only painful in transition because we know that our end of all things is to be in a glorified state with God forever and in his presence ultimately. But what if God has selected in his providence that the church alive today would be the church to lead the world to his return? I mean, what an honor. What yeah. an exciting honor. And, and I think if we, listen, every time we take up sides and arms in Babylon, the kingdom of heaven loses. So just, just, I'll remind pastors, man, um, and I remind our church, stay oriented to the kingdom of God. It does not mean bury your head in the sands. It doesn't mean ha don't have an opinion. It doesn't even mean don't care. It just means care about Christ and his kingdom first and foremost and more prominently. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I totally get you. There's a, t there's a text in Matthew 9 that I think is really profound. God gave it to me as a prophetic word after the death of George Floyd. I asked my, I asked the Lord in prayer. I said, God, I need a word for our, it was two weeks after it happened. I said, I, I mean, we, the world was like on fire. Our nation was on fire. And um, it was really tense for all of us. And I asked the Lord for a word to give our church. And he brought me to Matthew chapter nine at the end of the gospel of, of, of excuse me, at the end of that chapter, it's this transitional passage that we almost read too quickly without paying attention to, but it says Jesus went throughout all the cities of the Galilee, all the villages of the Galilee, teaching in all their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God, this other message, right? So, so notice so far, he's, he went to all of the cities, all of the villages and all of the synagogues. That's very exhaustive language, all of them. And it says he was proclaiming the gospel. And then it said he healed every disease or all the diseases and every affliction. So Jesus himself on a preaching tour around Galilee hit every city, village, synagogue, and healed every disease and sickness. That's an amazing ministry tour. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's Billy Graham got nothing on that. Every city, every village, every synagogue, every disease, every affliction. And then he looked at the crowds after he himself, Jesus himself preached the kingdom and healed everything. Then he looked at the crowds and was moved with compassion. And one commentary suggests that he was moved to grief because then he calls the disciples. So notice the timeline. He went everywhere. He did everything. He preached and healed everything. Then he looked at everyone 
and he was moved to grief and compassion. Why? Because when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were still, even though they were preached and healed, they were harassed, helpless, ready, sheep without shepherds. They were lost. Mm. And if Jesus himself came to America, did a tour of the American continent, did a tour of the world and preached, if Jesus himself preached in every city, every church and healed every issue, including sexism, racism, greed, all of abuse, and he healed everything and didn't save them, he would be grieved. Jesus can do all this work of compassion, love, and mercy. But if people aren't saved, it grieves the heart of God. And so pastors, listen to me. Grieve with those who grieve, mourn with those who mourn, and lead people to faith in Christ. Because if all we do is try to bring healing without salvation, then people are healed right into hell. They're whole right into lostness. But what grieved God is when he himself preached everywhere and healed everything, people didn't give their hearts. So then he says, he calls his disciples over and said, they're harassed, helpless sheep without shepherd. Then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. There's tons of work. To, there's tons of harvest out there, but the laborers are few. So here's what he does. He puts it back on the church because it's like Jesus said, I can heal all these people. I can heal global crises. I can heal nuclear bombs. I can heal Putin. I can heal Saddam. I can heal Biden. I can heal all of this. I can change their hearts. I can change, I mean, excuse me, I can change their, their physical bodies. I can even change the afflictions of their heart of racism, anger, pride, greed, whatever. But he says to the church, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And he says, so pray earnestly to the Lord, not of healing, not to the Lord of preaching, to the Lord of harvest that laborers are sent. And our role and responsibility is not to just heal Babylonians and get them feeling better and get peace um, in this world. Our role is to pray earnestly to the Lord that he would call us and cause us to be prophetic preachers and harvesters, man, calling people to repentance. Yeah, that's good. Okay, last question, okay? Imagine, Sorry, I get to preach in I every love time it, you ask me these I love it, questions, man. man. I love the the heart for the, the kingdom, But this man. is, I don't... I, I don't know if you're tracking too, like I'm trying to reference scripture. This is part of that bibliocentric yeah. piece, right? Oh, I'm catching it. Otherwise it's just my, otherwise it's just my opinion, Yeah. you know, of how I think things are in the world. Well, who cares about my opinion? I, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not the king of this kingdom. I, I mean, don't care Lord about is, your opinion either. This. I just want to hear the words of Jesus, man. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. <laughs> Imagine that you're invited to speak to a room full of pastors and spiritual leaders, what advice or wisdom would you want to share with them as they serve the Lord as leaders in the church in 2022? Yep. Yeah, I actually shared this. I think you actually got to um, hear this and use this. I, I've Since January, I, I start every year with 21 days of fasting and prayer. And um, since January, and here we are middle of March, and just last night, two nights ago, I finished. I've been stuck in second Corinthians. I can't get out of it. I've been reading around other places. Like I was reading Colossians this morning and I was in first, second Samuel earlier this week as well. But I, I'm like mulling over and ruminating in second Corinthians. And in chapter one, the apostle Paul writes this amazing opening grace and peace to you. And he says, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts all of us and everything. So we can comfort others in anything. And he uses the word comfort 10 times in four verses. It's pretty profound. And, and I think we as ministers need to remember we are conduits of comfort. Like our, we need to help people understand the comfort 
that comes with knowing Christ and him crucified, even the fellowship of his suffering. We're comforters, man. And and it's because of the comfort that God's given us. But then he says this, starting in like verse 12, he said, uh, but this is what we boast about. That we are known in this world with simplicity, sincerity, not worldly wisdom, but with the grace of God supremely towards you. And I think uh, I'm, I'm actually working on a broader leadership talk based on this, that pastors and ministers take a cue from the Apostle Paul, who by the end of the chapter of the book of St. Corinthians talks about being shipwrecked, beaten, imprisoned, all these different things. And he starts the letter with how comforted he is. I mean, he's been through hell worse than any pastor I know. I don't know any pastor who's been through what Paul went through. And he starts the letter with, I'm so comforted. <laughs> Bless be the God of comfort. And then he says, here's how I want to be known for you guys. Not by my beatings, not by what I've suffered, but I want to be known as a leader by simplicity. Man, nothing owns my life. I belong to God and him alone, and I'm here to serve you. Sincerity, I love God deeply, and I love you. I don't love the things of this world. I'm not trapped by fame. I'm not trapped by who knows me. Third, he says, I'm not known by worldly wisdom. And I think if we're not careful, especially in the the world we live in today as pastors, like we have access to everything, right? But we don't want to be known as woke or savvy or so bougie and so like worldly connected. He said, we're not known for that. And then fourth, he says, we are known by the grace of God supremely towards you. And the grace of God in Paul's writings, he reckons the grace of God as the empowerment of God's presence. For Paul, grace is what many of us, uh, for many of us, we consider grace to be like mercy Grace is when I screw up, God's so gracious. Oh, he's so gracious. He doesn't hold it against me. No, no, no. That's he's merciful. Grace, what he writes to Titus in Titus 2, he says, the grace of God has appeared teaching us to live godly, training us in righteousness, teaching us to say no to sin. The grace of God is the empowerment of the spirit at work in us to live for God. So Paul says, I want to be simple, sincere, not worldly wisdom. And I want to just live and flow under the grace of God supremely towards other people. So pastors, I want to encourage you, man, like lead that way, lead simply, sincerely, be a comfort conduit. Don't be known for worldly wisdom. Don't get in fights on social media. Don't try to win arguments over crazy, stupid things that don't matter. And just live and flow in the grace of God. Every breath, every moment, every message, every meeting, live in that space. And, you know, I think Paul, by the, he's heading towards the end of his life when he writes that it took long life to get to that place, you know? So it's not like we can just decide today, okay, I'm going to be that way, (laughs) but head that direction. You know what I'm saying? That's so good. Pastor Mike, it has been an honor to have you on Pastor Standing Firm. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. And I know that this message is going to be so encouraging to some people who are just really slugging through it, just like we both are. And we yep. love you. Bless Life Point Church and everything Thank that you, you guys are doing. We love you. Thanks for being on the podcast with us. Love you, bro. Thanks again.